We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 today, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Um, so as we get into the text this morning, we see a couple of new ideas introduced into Hebrews uh, for the specific book that we see. These are not new concepts in the scripture. These are, uh, these are very very um, solid and uh, thoroughly taught truths throughout the Bible. Uh, but in the book of Hebrews, we see these ideas enter in, and, and they are part of the cumulative case that the author is making to specifically Jews, but more broadly to all believers. Uh, these Jews that he's talking to are born-again Jews, those who have uh, come into Christianity and are considering going back to the old way of doing things, considering going back to Judaism. But his address is to them as believers, those who have come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have confessed Christ, and he's building a case of why they should not turn back, why, why Christ is the goal. Christ is the sum total of what it means to know God. And so these ideas introduced here are the, in my opinion, is the idea that the, what came before the Old Testament, the system of the Old Testament, the figures of the Old Testament, the teachings of the Old Testament are, are prefigures, types, and shadows of the Christ who is to come. And not just the Christ that is to come, but those who would come through Christ. So, Moses, the high priestly uh, office, these are all types and foreshadows of the work that Christ would do in, a, in reality. They, they point to, they are shadows, they are uh, copies of the reality that we will see in Christ. And not just in Christ, but in all those who would come to God through Christ. And so as we see Moses doing what Moses does... As we see the high priest doing what the high priest does, what the temple is, and so on and so forth, we get a picture of what Christ, who Christ is and what Christ will do. And so that's the, the, that's the idea that's introduced now in chapter 3. And that'll be really developed uh, throughout the rest of the book. Okay, So up to this point, he's been proving the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels. He's been uh, dealing with the idea that Jesus Christ is not just a messenger, but he's also God who created the heavens and the earth. But he's also fully man who came uh, in 
like in the likeness of, of flesh. He was made like his brothers. And so God, who is the creator, took on creation in order to do the work that needed to be done to reunite creation with the creator. And he did that through dying on a cross and propitiating or paying the debt that all sinners had incurred upon themselves, which was death or the loss of life, which in reality is the loss of relationship with God because God is life, okay? And so when Jesus Christ paid that debt, all that come in through Christ have their debt paid and they are reunited, they are atoned for at one now with God and they are reconnected, redeemed, reconciled to God through the blood payment of Jesus Christ. And we see the work done. Now we see the words high priest introduced for the first time in Hebrews. And so we need to ask the question, why this new title, at least in this scripture, uh, is introduced now in the section that is going to begin now moving from Christ's superiority to angels to Christ's superiority to Moses, okay? So let's look at that for just a quick second. I do have a quick announcement, and uh, I told Robert I'd wait till this week so we could get everybody signed up that we could possibly get signed up for the marriage retreat. And today is the day you need to get all your money in. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. My wife and I are going. It's, I, I can't wait to see what God's going to do at the, uh, women's, I mean, the marriage retreat. If you are not planning to go, if, if you are not planning to go, then I would ask you if you have, maybe you're tied up Friday night so you just couldn't be a part of the marriage retreat. <clears throat> if you've got Saturday, I'm going to be speaking at a rally in Columbia with a few uh, state representatives and a few other pastors uh, in a push to end abortion. It is a rally against Roe. And we are pushing this uh, H4046 bill that would actually criminalize abortion and it would end all abortion. It's an abolitionist bill, which means that if this bill could pass and become law in South Carolina, that it would not make abortion harder, it would make it illegal, period. A criminal offense like it should be. <clears throat> so the heartbeat bill, you know, that's great. I hope that it, it helps. Uh, as you can see, it's already being contested and it's being frozen. Um, this, that, the heartbeat bill makes it harder to get an abortion. Any babies that we can save is great, so I'm not against that type of thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that abortion is taking the life of an innocent child, and it just needs to be called what it is. It's murder, and it's a criminal act, and we need to stop it, period. Okay. So if you, don't, if you can, and you're not going to the marriage retreat, We'll be in Columbia, and uh, it'll be at 11 a.m., this rally, where as many believers as we can possibly get together to stand together in one body, in one mind, in one voice, saying, this is murder. It has to stop. We do not want the blood on our hands, so let's stand boldly and say what the Word of God says. So 11, uh, 11 o'clock Saturday, uh, I'll be speaking along with several other people, and I had a little graphic here for you. Um, uh, here, so these guys will be uh, speaking with us. Um, this lady here. So uh, if you can make it out, uh, 
Saturday, 11 a.m., South Carolina State House. Okay, so let's now get into the text. Okay, <clears throat> I'll put a black screen up here because I want to do something real fast, and I, can't, I don't have time. This was last second. I just ran back to my office and put this black screen on here so I could show you this. Because the, uh, the office and the role of high priest is introduced in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 here, uh, I want to just do it really quickly and really uh, from a 30,000 uh, foot view, kind of give you a quick diagram of what would take place or part of what would take place with the high priest. So the high priest was responsible, the high priest was a mediator. So the high priest would go, was a go-between between God and man, okay? And what the high priest would do is that he would cleanse himself and then he would, uh, a, a lamb or an offering would be sacrificed. He would collect that blood, and then he would take that blood into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, uh, was, and he would sprinkle that blood around to make intercession, to make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, we know that the blood of bulls and goats does not cleanse from sin, but it was a picture. It doesn't have the power to cleanse the conscience, the soul, the, the actual. It doesn't have the actual power to purify. And so this was a symbolic act that would point to what Jesus Christ would do as the high priest, uh, that he would offer a sacrifice once for all to actually bring purifications for sins. But it's relevant to understand what that looked like and what the high priest was doing so that we can understand what Jesus did and the way that he did it, which I hope that this will help you. So in the Old Testament, so you have the tabernacle, you have the temple, and it's very intricate, like super intricate. And this is helpful, too, that Moses received the blueprints for these, uh, these dwelling places for God with exact detail. So he had to do it like he was told to do it. He was following instructions, doing what he was told. Uh, so I'm not going to get into all the details. I just don't have time. But let's just look at the tabernacle uh, for a moment. So the tabernacle was a, it was like a mobile dwelling place for God until the temple was erected. But in the tabernacle, just loosely, you had a section that was called the outer court. Okay? In the outer court, you had uh, several things that went on. You, you sacrificed the animal. You killed the animal in the outer court. You had the, um, the, the bronze uh, um, place for washing. Uh, you had all of these different things out here. Uh, laymen were allowed out here. They could they could come in and out. Um, you know there was a gate here. There's so much here. I did a series a while back on the tabernacle, which was uh, really insightful to me. But in here you have the inner court. So you'd go through one more level, and in here you have the menorah. You have the table of showbread. You have all of these different things, and all of these point to different aspects of Christ and his ministry and the reality that we find ourselves in in the New Testament. So here's where you would light the menorah, and you would put the oil in the menorah, which was a candlestick that had seven candlesticks, and we actually tied that to Revelation and the seven golden lampstands and the seven churches. The seven churches need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so they can shine and give light to the the um the inner room where prayers are offered up the you know the altar of incense the prayers of the saints rising up all of this needs to take place and we see all of this in the life of christ well in in through here you have the holy uh of holies okay and in here is the ark which is 
the presence. Okay, this was where the presence of God uh, dwelled. This was this signified the presence of God. Okay, well, this right here was a humongous curtain. I got a little line right there, but this was like a humongous, heavy curtain that uh, that separated the presence of God from the people of God. Okay, and the only people that could go through this were the high priests, okay? And they didn't just go in there whenever they wanted to. They went in there with specific instructions, and they hoped they made it out, all right? Because no one can come before the presence of God and survive because of the sin. So just for the point of the day, the, uh, the killing took place outside in the outer court, okay? The, um, the preparation took place place uh, in the inner court now some of these kind of overlap and the actual offering took place in the holy of holies okay so this is where the real work was done not to not to take away from this work a lot of us think of the sacrifice and the high priestly role of christ really being in the cross of christ which was part of it for sure but the true uh, work of atonement, well, I don't want to say true. The, the apex moment of the, the, um, the application, the place where, where it found its fulfillment and its full measure of atonement would have actually been in the Holy of Holies because this sacrifice is made here, but the blood has to be taken into here in order to do anything right so you, if you can kill an animal out here and it's just a dead animal the high priest has to take the blood uh, into the holy of holies in order to apply it for the atonement of the people does that make sense so far okay now that's that's all i'm going to do just to give you kind of an idea and we'll come back to this in the later chapters but this is just to remind you a little bit refresh your memory so as we move forward now you've kind of got an idea of what the high priest did okay now jesus is is kind of this fantastic um coming of the the substance of what all of these other things pointed to okay so let's let's get back into text here for a moment and see if we can kind of make some sense of this it says Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. And so as we start to break these down and see what God has for us, we see that in these two verses, Jesus, the apostle and high priest, is faithful. Now, it's going to start to break down how he is faithful and in what ways that relates to how Moses was faithful. But Jesus is not just a messenger. Okay, we understand Moses to be a messenger. Moses was given specific instructions on how to do what he was to do, and he could not do it any other way but then to do it that way. And Moses was not the high priest. If you remember, Aaron had that role because Moses was insufficient for the task of doing all of what God had called him to do. He, he did what he was called to do faithfully. 
And he was a messenger. He gave God's word. He showed them and gave them the instructions as it was given to him on how to erect the tabernacle and the temple, the specific dimensions. He was very faithful in that, and he was on it. He told them, no, you don't build it that way. That's not how the master wants it built. He wants it built this way, okay? So he did that. He did that faithfully. He gave the law. He did lots of stuff. He did that faithfully. But he could not do it all. Uh, Moses, in his weakness, came before God, and he said, God, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm, I'm not capable of doing all that you've asked me to do. I, I can't speak well. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm, I, I'm not complete. And so God acknowledged that, and he said, okay, I'm going to send someone with you. And he sent Aaron with him to be the mouthpiece, to be a mediator in, in so much between Moses and the people even, okay? And so uh, Aaron took on this role of high priest, and then uh, after him, the descendants, and Levi, and through all these tribes. So we see that Moses, the bottom line is, Moses did what Moses was called to do, and he was faithful in that. But he was not able to do everything that needed to be done because he was not uh, on the level that he needed to be uh, of um, glory or of uh, ability, okay? So let's start to break this down just a little bit. You know, I do this every week. The therefore, what's it there for? The therefore, if you remember what we came out of just now in chapter 2, remember the, the chapters and the subheadings are not original to the text. They are helpful, but they're not original. And so we're flowing right out of the idea that Jesus Christ became like us in order to do the propitiatory work for us by dying in our place in order that death might be destroyed, that the power of death that Satan yields might be destroyed. And that power is what? The fear of death, which is really summed up in temptation that you are missing out on life. When in reality, if you've got God, you've got all that life could possibly offer and you need nothing else. And so we see that Jesus Christ has destroyed the power of death, that he is, he is the means by which we come to God, and he has paid our sin debt. And, and the apostle here, the uh, author says, therefore, since you know this is a reality, and that Jesus has died in your place and propitiated sin, he's paid your sin debt, therefore, holy brothers, see, he's saying now that you're set apart. Remember all the way back in the first part of chapter 2 where he said, the sanctifier and the sanctified have one source. And Jesus Christ, who was made man, and us, who need to be sanctified, are, are all found whole in one place, and that is in the Trinity, in God, in, in, who, in the Creator. Okay, So he says, therefore, holy brothers, holy set apart, you who share, now this is very curious, I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but we share in a heavenly calling. So, Jesus Christ, we've seen this. He's done the work. He has a calling on his life. And what is that? He was appointed to do, to do the work of salvation. He was the Redeemer. He was, he was the Messiah. That was his calling. And what is that calling? What's the meat of it? It is to reconcile the children of God to the Father. Jesus Christ says, All that the Father has given to me, they will come to me. I will not lose not one of them, but I will raise them up on the last day that I might do the will of my Father. The will of the Father is for Jesus not to lose one of the children, and he will accomplish that. If he doesn't accomplish that, then he has failed his calling, and he has failed to complete the will of the Father. And so the, the heavenly calling for Christ 
is the redemption of man, the building of the kingdom, the bringing in of the children, the expansion of the glory of God through those who would believe. And we share in this. Doesn't that make perfect sense in what we found earlier in Hebrews chapter 2 when he says that don't you, know, don't you understand that the world to come is not subject to angels. No, it's subject to you. And it was always subject to mankind, but they gave it up. They forfeited it when Adam sinned, and he actually entered into subjection to futility and to the corruption of the flesh. But now through Christ, that enemy that subjected Adam has been destroyed. He's been rendered inoperative. He doesn't have any power over you anymore, which in turn... Jesus as the second Adam in destroying the power of Satan brings all those with him back into that place of authority, back into that place of dominion in the holiest sense of the word. And now we are to begin now exercising that authority on earth, bringing back into peace and harmony the, the creation and to uh, proclaim the gospel. We know it's the word that goes forth that orders the chaos. The word goes forth to create and to build the kingdom, right? And so we as little Christ, which is what Christian means, we share in the work that Christ began, okay? And so we're moving forward in what God has called us into, but as we do, we must consider Jesus. Now, as we consider Jesus, he must be the focal point of our entire existence. Now, <clears throat> just by way of demonstration here, so that we can kind of wrap our minds around this, is that Jesus can be the consideration of your life in at least two different ways. Um, many more, I'm sure, but in these two different ways that uh, I caught this as I was listening to somebody somewhere in one of the hours this week. I have no idea, and I'm sorry about that, but I will say it's not original to me. Jesus Christ can be the centerpiece of your life in position, okay, that Jesus Christ can be the center of your life in position. Uh, let's see. Uh, Daniel, will you come help me? You said you'd help me a little earlier. You mind come help me? You don't have to say anything. Come on. He looked terrified. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me get a couple more. Josh, you want to come help me? Come on, bro. You good? It's okay. You don't have to say nothing. Emma, come on. You want to help me? Does somebody need to go check? Because it sounded like something just died. Dennis, come on. You want to come help me? Come on. All right. Let's see. Uh, come on, Walter. Walter, raise his hand. Anybody else want to come help me? Somebody out there want to come help? I only need just one or two more. Come on. Come on, bro. Let's go. Come on. Okay. Here, I don't know what y'all... Did it go down there? What's wrong with y'all? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We just have more room down here. Okay, so <clears throat> let's see. I still need one or two more. Huh? Come on. Yeah, Jay, man, you're right here. Come on. You, perfect, perfect. All right. Come on, Jim. Help me out. Okay, look. You can be positionally centered, you know, someone or something can be positionally centered, and then they can be centered in another way. Okay, we're going to make Jim here. You, you, you represent Christ, okay? You're going to represent Christ here. Hey, 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 man's coming up. All right. Okay, now, let's, let's move around here. Now, Jim is in the center. He's going to be in the center, okay? Come on, Daniel, come over here. You guys gather around Jim. Put Jim in the center of it, okay? Right there, okay. Move on around. Move on around there, Jaden. Dennis, come right here, right here. Okay, now, now Jim is positionally in the center of these people. I want you, I want you guys to, uh, to and on the count of three, 
I just want you to uh, go somewhere other than where you are right now. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Are you sure? <laughs> Seem a little unsure. Okay, on the count of three, you just go wherever you want to go, but you can't stand where you are right now. One, two, three, go. Nope, you, Jesus is the same forever, bro. <laughs> Yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> okay, now, what just happened here is that Jesus is a center point, Jim is a center point, but as they moved about, they could, he was positionally centered, but they could move kind of wherever they wanted to. Now, are they, at this point, and I want an actual answer here, is, is Jim, or Jesus, is he still in the center of these guys over here? No, he's not. Okay, now he got a little closer, so maybe he's holier than thou. <laughs> but everybody else moved away, and he's not in the center anymore, is he? Okay, so everybody come back. Center back around Jesus. Okay, come on over here, Dennis. Okay, now, there's another way that, that something can be in the center, too. And I want you to think of this way as, um, how many of you have ever rode, ridden a bicycle? Raise your hands way up high. Come on. The rest of you, where have you been? <laughs> Living under a rock. Okay, how many of you have know what a bicycle is? How about that? <laughs> All right. Well, I used to love to ride bicycles, and there was one thing about my bicycle that, uh, that I always noticed and, you know, makes sense, and it won't work without it, is that on the bicycle rim, there is a central place that connects it to the forks or the frame, and from that centerpiece that has a rotating axle that will freely move, there's what's called spokes. Or if you had mags, they were, they were kind of this star-looking thing. But either way, the tire was connected to the centerpiece by the spokes, okay? And the centerpiece is called a hub, all right? Now, <clears throat> this, this is a different way. I want you to grab a hold of it. He won't bite you, I promise. Uh, grab a hold of Jim's shirt there. Don't wrinkle it, though. Just grab a hold of it. Okay, now... Now, you guys are just kind of lightly grabbing a hold of Jim, but I want you to act like that when you touched him, your hand dissolved into him, and you cannot get it back out. I don't care if you were the strongest man in the world or even if you were Adam Ballinger, okay? You cannot get this arm back out. Now, you cannot come unattached from Jim or Jesus and do not take your hand off of him. Now, when I count to three, I want you to move somewhere, anywhere, other than where you are right now, okay? One, two, three, move. You can't take your hand off of him. <laughs> Remember, now this will be Hebrews chapter 6, okay? Okay, can't take your hand off. Now, move around wherever you would like to, one, two, three. You can move. You can move. Okay. All right, now. Is Jim still in the center? Now, don't think of center being this way. Is he still the same exact distance away from these guys as he was? Think how many people would be here, you know, if we had the whole circle field and we could just move. Is he still in the same place, same distance? Is he still in the center? Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, y'all give him a hand. When the Bible says, consider Jesus. So everybody in this room, if you're a believer, is at one time tried to figure out, what's God's will for my life? What's the heavenly calling? What am I supposed to be doing? I mean, surely you've had these thoughts. Uh, surely that my whole entire purpose for existing on this floating rock that's spinning in space is not so that I can go to a nine to five, punch a time clock, get a check, 
pay that check to somebody else only to repeat it all over and over and over and over and over, right? So we've all asked this question, what is our purpose in life? And I think that as we consider that, as we think about what our purpose is in life, does anybody know what I did with my pen? There it is. Uh, we need to look, one, to Jesus. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your life, you, don't, you have no idea what your purpose is because everybody was intended and created to continually magnify and uh, glorify the one who created them, right? So that is all human beings' purposes, and they will one way or the other, to be sure. But <clears throat> for those of you who have believed, you share in a heavenly calling, and that heavenly calling is the one that Jesus Christ uh, has, uh, has been given as well, which is the glorification of God through the redemption of man by obediently following him and proclaiming his message. And so, but as we go about this heavenly calling, we have to consider Jesus. And this word here, consider, is that we have to have Jesus Christ in the center of all that we do. Somebody asked me one time, or no, they didn't ask me. They asked me a question. They were really torn up about a decision that they, have, they had to make. Do I do A or do I do B? Some of you may have those right before you today. Do I go to this college? Do I go to this college? What if I don't go to the right one and I'm not in the will of God anymore? Oh, no, right? Um, some of you, uh, some of you guys who are older, you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I've got a better job offer. Should I take that job or should I stay where I am? You know, what if, you know, I really want to do God's will, but what if God's will is B and I'm choosing A, but I really want to do God's will and I think God's will is B, but actually it's A and I don't, ah, what do I do? How do I stay within God's will? Well, the problem, the reason that we have that, in my opinion, is that we think of God's will as a straight line. And we're here, uh, you know, walking alone and we're trying to stay on God's will. And there's all these, these avenues that we could take, right? And we think, which avenue should I take in order to stay in God's will? You know, should I take A, B, or C? And if I take B, I'm out of God's will. And if I take A, I'm out of God's will. I've got to figure out which one is the perfect one so that I make sure I stay in God's will. And if you ever make the wrong choice, how do you get back into God's will, right? But I'm, I'm here to tell you that I don't think that's how God's will works. No. As a matter of fact, I think it's way off, and that will really... It will really hurt you because wouldn't that make it almost impossible to be in God's will, much less stay in God's will? And if you get outside of God's will, how could you in your limited finite mind find out how to get back to God's will? Oh my goodness, there's so many problems. But what if it wasn't that way? What if God's will was more like a circle, okay? And as long as you stayed in this, so this is God's will, Okay, I'm just kind of, I didn't plan all this and we really need to hurry. But what if God's will was more like this and you had freedom to move around in God's will as long as Jesus Christ was your centerpiece that connected you? And you could choose A, B, C, and D. D is outside of God's will. Why? Because it's contrary to who Christ is. And you're connected to Christ. So you've got all this freedom to move, but you can't go out here and th because then you'd be outside of God's will. How do we know what's God's will then? Then we study the scripture to see who Christ is. We pray and we seek Christ. We meditate on him. And that way, if I've got choices to go to this college or that college and to this college, well, which one will glorify Christ? 
And I can, be, I can choose B and being God's will. I can choose C and being God's will. I just can't choose D and being God's will because I know there all I'm going to do is smoke dope and get drunk and chase girls, right? And we know that's not in accordance with Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. So I shouldn't have spent the time on that, but hopefully it was helpful. Or, yeah, I should because it had to be God's will. <laughs> because now it's done. <laughs> And you cannot thwart God's will, right? Okay, so Jesus must be the main consideration of our calling. But further, Christ is the apostle, the messenger, and the high priest, the mediator of our confession. So Christ is not just the apostle, he is the high priest. And so we've already been established that Jesus Christ is the apostle. He's the messenger. As a matter of fact, he's not just the messenger, but he is the message yeah in these last days god has spoken to us through his son right that he's the messenger of the final revelation and that final revelation being brought by the messenger jesus is what it's jesus that he is the way the truth and the life that the final messenger is also the final message just like the final sacrifice the the final high priest who offers the final sacrifice is the sacrifice and the sacrifice offerer right so you see jesus christ is actually the final point of focus of everything that's ever been written right that everything finds its fulfillment in jesus christ i'm not going to spend a ton of time here because we're going to look a lot at the high priest later on but let's just move forward a little bit notice that this is the first mention of christ as high priest just before moses is mentioned for the first time as well so moses hadn't been mentioned in the book yet we will learn a lot about moses as we go on through but uh, Moses is mentioned first here, just like the uh, high priestly role is mentioned here too. So Jesus Christ is not just the messenger in the message, but he's also the high priest. Of what? Of our confession. So that confession of Jesus Christ, of uh, one, oneness with God, of atonement, he is the, he is the, he is the message and the mediator of that confession. In other words, your confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and your understanding and your awareness, your proclamation of human beings being able to be reunited with God through propitiation rests on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only what he said, but also what he did. And if Jesus Christ is not the message and if his message was wrong then he can't be uh, who he claimed to be more than that if jesus christ didn't do what he said he did he cannot be the thing that he said that he was and who god sent him to be which is the messiah the grand point of entry who all must come through if they desire to have a relationship with god now look we see this here that um that we need to consider Jesus, have Jesus at the center of the calling that we share with Jesus. Uh, and I, I consider this really a because, uh, even though the word's not there, that uh, we are to consider Jesus because he's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So he doesn't just do it, but he maintains it. And so we consider him, we keep him in the center because he's the one that began it, he's the one that completed it, and he's the one that'll see it through to the end, okay? And so, but as we move on, we have a little bit, a little um, description or a further understanding of 
what Jesus did or how he, he carried this out and how he was a priest and how he was, a confe- uh, how he was a, a, an apostle who was faithful to him. This is uh, God proper or the Father, okay? Who, who appointed him. Now, we see here a connection between Jesus and Moses. That God the Father appointed Jesus. Now, does that mean that Jesus Christ was forcibly sent? No, absolutely not. We know that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I pick it up again. I come on my own free will. We know that Hebrews chapter 12 says it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross, despising its shame. This was not, you know, some atheists, they try to say, you know, the whole story of Christianity is divine child abuse. The father killed his own son so that you could have salvation. What kind of a, what kind of a twisted, sick story is that? No. Jesus Christ submitted himself, sacrificed himself, and willingly and voluntarily came down to do the work that the Trinity, in its perfect unity, in its perfect harmony, had decided from wherever, eternity past, somewhere back there, somewhere yonder, okay? They talked about it, whatever. I don't know if the Trinity talks with one another, if they just, yes, yes. I don't know how that works, but we know that the Trinity was in full harmonious agreement that the father would send and appoint the son and the son would uh, offer himself up and willingly go to do this beautiful and magnificent work that we call salvation and so jesus was faithful to the father who appointed him which was necessary for salvation as well but check this out this is kind of curious just as moses also was faithful in all god's house so here we see, and if you don't read any further, you might go, hmm, seems like the author of Hebrews is kind of putting Jesus and Moses on a level with one another, right? Is that right? No. I think we're going to see in the next verse that what we understand is what, what's being said here is not that Jesus and Moses are on the level with one another, but that Jesus and Moses both had an appointed call and an appointed heavenly calling and they both were faithful to the call that they were given okay but what's going to come out is is that but what we understand is that those two callings were a lot different as a matter of fact Moses calling was to do this to point to Jesus calling which would be this Moses served as a copy and a shadow and a forerunner to Jesus. And we find this in the Old Testament too. Moses himself said, there's coming one after me that will be, that you will need to listen to him. You know, and so we know that Jesus came uh, as the one to whom Moses pointed, okay? But here we see, now, really quickly, but we see here that just because Moses is a type of Christ does not take away from the significant and crucial and necessary role that Moses played. See, everybody wants to put you in these two different opposing camps and on one extreme or the other. They say, if you believe that, that in Christ are, are fulfilled all the promises or uh, the Old Testament law is now obsolete because Christ came, they said, you're an antinomian, you're against the law, you want to throw out the Old Testament. We say, no, we don't. What we understand is, is that it was because of Christ that Moses had any significance at all. And through Christ, we understand the greatest significance of Moses, and that was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he was faithful in doing that. And so we say amen and praise God for Moses. 
Uh, lastly, on this one, Jesus was faithful to his appointment just as Moses was to him. Okay? Jesus was faithful just as Moses was faithful. Now, let's pick it up here and let's kind of pick up the pace a little bit. For Jesus has been counted. Now, remember I told you that the other verse, if you stop there, it kind of puts them on the level with each other. We're going to see here that that's not the case. For this, this took me a minute to wrap my mind around this word for right here. Uh, but I'll get to that in a second. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Okay? Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So Moses had some glory. We see that, in, uh, that Paul taught the Corinthians that the law, the written code, had glory. But that glory was fading away because its purpose was fading away. Why? Because Jesus Christ, to whom that written code pointed, was coming to fruition, that he was coming to, to fulfill all of that which it shadowed. So, in other words, the shadow is there, but that which casts the shadow is about to appear. And once the substance appears, the shadow is no longer needed to figure out what the substance is. Uh, let's, let's see, one more quick demonstration. Uh, Jake, come help me really fast, really fast. Hurry, hurry, man, come on. Don't fix your boots. Ain't nobody can see your boot. All right, look, I want you to see something right here. Now, you won't be able to see this. Well, let's go over here. Okay, look, some of you will be able to see this okay. Um, well, the lights are kind of crazy. Oh, let me see if I can do this. No. Come back over here. This is better right here. Right there. Okay, now look, look. Lean out a little bit. Lean down. Okay, look. Don't stop moving. Look. Okay, now I'm looking at Jake's shadow on the ground. Now, let's pretend for a second that I don't know what Jake looks like, right? I'm looking at the shadow on the ground right here, and I think, okay, I can see this right here. It looks kind of like a collar is poking up, and I can see it looks like he's either bald or wearing a hat. <laughs> Um, I, I can't tell a whole lot from this angle and the way the, the light is, but, you know, it looks like he's kind of short. Um, you know, I can tell a few things. I can tell a few things about Jake from the shadow. And I need this shadow if there's nothing else. If there's a curtain here, I can't see. I need the shadow just so I can kind of tell what's, what I'm looking at. But how crazy would it be if you were asking me, to describe Jake to you, and he's standing right here, okay? And Victoria Ashford says, what does Jake look like? Let's pretend she can't see him. She's an unbeliever. You know, she has blind eyes and deaf ears, right? She's dead. Uh, and, I, and I'm filled with the spirit, right? And, and she says, what is, Jake's not real. What does he look like then? How crazy would it be if I can see Jake, but I'm looking at the shadow. Bend back over. I can't see. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the shadow, and I'm going, well, Victoria, I think he's got a, he's got a hat um, I think his collar's kind of popped a little bit. He must be a cool Jesus. Uh, wouldn't it be crazy if I could just actually look at him and go, well, he's got a beard. He's got a camouflage hat on. His hat says Yakoda. I think that's, that's how you say He's got glasses hanging around his neck. You see what I'm saying? Once the, once the substance has arrived, the shadow is no longer a necessity. It's, it's growing obsolete, which is, he yeah, go ahead. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says, that that which was before, it's really growing obsolete. It's fading away. Why? Because it was unimportant? Absolutely not. It was all that we had. It was the glory of God for 
uh, many, many, many years. And it was the forerunner. It was that which brought us into the place of recognition of who Christ was. And it set everything up that Christ might come and do the work that he was supposed to do, right? And so we're not degrading the shadow. We're just recognizing that it was a shadow, right? And now we go back to Moses. We go back to the law. We go back to the temple, right? In order to find out things that we might not be able to find out in the New Testament because there was a lot of information there but we realize that all of that was completed in Christ and points us to Christ and shows us Christ and who Christ is so <clears throat> uh, let's see for Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses here we see this distinction jump out at us okay so Moses was faithful in his appointment Jesus is faithful in his appointment remember I told you let's see where we are Christ cannot have been okay yeah here it, here it was right here this this took me a minute this took me a minute because I couldn't figure out. So it says they were both faithful. So Jesus was faithful uh, to God who appointed him just like Moses was faithful in all God's house. And then it says for, which is really, you can say, because. So same, same idea. So Jesus was faithful in, in, to him who appointed him just like Moses was faithful in all God's house because... Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. I couldn't, I, what? I don't understand. How can, how can Jesus being counted uh, worthy of more glory be the reason that Jesus and Moses are both faithful like each other? And then it, then it came together for me as I was just praying and seeking the Lord. What it's saying here is that the reason that Christ, okay, Christ could not have been faithful in his appointment if he was not counted worthy of more glory christ alone had the tools for this job in other words moses had all the tools to be faithful in his appointment but could moses be faithful in the appointment that was given to jesus christ no he couldn't he didn't have the tools Jesus was faithful in his appointment because he had more glory. Does that make sense? Jesus had all the tools. Moses fell short of being able to do the complete work of salvation. He couldn't do it. And it wasn't his job. So I'm not, and that's not a knock on Moses. Moses was faithful to do what he was called to do. And he had this much glory. Okay? Jesus was faithful in his appointment because he had this much glory. Only Jesus could do this thing, and he could only do it because of the magnificent glory that he had and the worth that he had. If Jesus was not worthy, then he could not be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus Christ is worth Jesus Christ is worth the price of your admission. Remember the text that says that you were bought and paid for. With what? With riches and gold and silver? No. But with the blood of Jesus that far exceeds any value of anything that could possibly be imagined on the face of this earth. This is why he was able to be faithful to his calling. Moses was a shadow builder of a shadow house. 
we're going to see this really open up. And this is really cool. Um, and we've got time afterwards, so I don't have to be in a rush. <laughs> Moses was a shadow builder of a shadow house. He was doing what he was called to do, but it was pointing to what Jesus was called to do. Christ is the true builder of the true house. You need to write that down, okay? Moses is a shadow builder of a shadow house. Jesus is the true builder of the true house. He was worthy of more, uh, more glory as the builder of a house. Oh, okay, look. As much, how much more glory? How much more glory does Jesus have than Moses? As much more glory as, as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. In other words, Moses was the construction worker. Okay, Moses was a contractor hired by a homeowner. Let's go ahead and put that up here. Oh, I didn't put it up here. Anyway, I thought about you. Where did the... Where did my man go? Where's Josh? Josh, you in here? Josh, there he is. I thought about Josh. I thought about Matt. I thought about some of you construction guys in here. You know the difference. You know the difference. Yeah? That's your favorite verse? Hit it. You see, Jesus is on the, so, so Moses was a, was a contractor who was hired. And you say, you're inserting stuff into the text. No, he was a servant. We know that. He was faithful in all God's house as a servant. He was, he was a servant, okay? Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. So it's the difference between a general contractor who's being commissioned and paid in order to do this job, okay, and the homeowner who is the one who designed the plans and makes the calls. He shows up on the scene, and the guy who's building the house does what he's told to do. The son of the father has all of the authority, all the connection, all the relationship that he owns the house to. This is his house. Does that make sense? Okay, so Christ, this is very, very cool too. Christ built Moses. So, I, I should just read this to you. We might talk about this a little bit more in depth. I won't go further in Hebrews because some of you can't stay. And so I won't run further in Hebrews as far as verses-wise, but I might go deeper here. But Christ, So Moses is a shadow builder of a shadow house. Christ is the true builder of the true house. Christ built Moses. Christ built Moses. Christ is the builder of all things. So when I say Christ built Moses... It's very, it's very crazy. I sent this to a few of you last night because we were just like, is that Moses is a shadow builder of a shadow house, which leads us and points us to the true builder of the true house, who actually built Moses into the true house and the true builder, who would be pointed to the true builder and the true house through his shadow building and through his shadow house. <laughs> Say that five times fast. We'll come back to that, though. Now, Moses was faithful in, there's no words that are accidents, in all God's house as a servant. That's how Moses was faithful, okay? That's not taking anything away from Moses, right? Jesus was a ser servant too. Jesus, you know, the Bible says that he did not come to be served, but to serve. But in reference to how he was connected to the house and to God and to all these things, he is faithful as a servant, okay? He does what he's told. To testify what was the cause. So we see there are two different callings now. 
The call of Jesus is to build the kingdom, to do the work of redemption, to glorify the Father through the salvation and propitiation of the, the children. Moses' job was to testify to the things that were spoken later. So as we read the Old Testament, is it still important to read? Absolutely, it's crucial. Paul's tell, Paul tells Timothy, this, this is good for correction, good for rebuke, good for training in righteousness. It's absolutely crucial. But as we read them, how should we read? Read them in, in context. Read them to get the original meaning and that the original audience would have understood. And also of how that pointed us to the reality of Christ and how we can see what is who Jesus is in a greater and more clear picture. Because all those things were written to testify to the things that were to come. Moses is a contractor. Oh, this is what I was looking for a while ago. Moses is a contractor. Jesus is the homeowner. Moses is the contractor. Jesus is the homeowner. Okay? Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. Moses was a shadow builder building a shadow house who pointed to the true builder of the true house. Is this making sense to you? Moses was given a set of blueprints to build a replica, a model. And you say, well, you're just making that up. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, when we get there, will tell us, speaking of the high priest, speaking of these things that came before him, that these are copies of the heavenly realities. That's what the verse says. And so Moses was given a blueprint on how to build the tabernacle and the temple as a copy of the heavenly realities. The, the realities exist in heaven. Now, I'll show you this diagram later that I thought was very useful, is that uh, these heavenly realities come down in the Old Testament uh, in copy form, okay? Moses is writing and doing and building the copies. He's given a blueprint of a set of copies that will point to what's the reality. In the New Testament, the heavenly reality is the fulfillment of and the reality and substance of that which was written and copied in the Old Testament, and they meet in the, in the personal work of Jesus Christ and in the church to show that the heavenly realities that were given as copies in the Old Testament have been foreshadowed by them and have come down and become reality in the New Testament, at least in its inaugurated form, okay? So anyway, Moses was a shadow builder building a shadow house who pointed to the true builder of the true house. Uh, Christ is faithful over. You see the difference here in the text. So now Moses is faithful in God's house. He's working in the house uh, as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. What, what was spoken later? Christ. Christ is faithful over God's house. He's the owner. He makes decisions. He stands above. He says this. He says that. He designs it. He changed the plans if he want to. We know he don't change, but you get the point. Is that he makes the decisions of what the house is going to be. Uh, of God's house as a son, which is just telling us that he has the authority of the Father. And we are his house. This is beautiful. And I wanted more time to do this. And I might do this here in just a little bit. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast uh, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Basically what this is saying is, is that one, he is the designer and the owner of the house. And two, so what, what is this? He says, we are his house. Remember I told you that the, uh, of the tabernacle, you would kill the animal outside, you would take it in the inner 
court. You would take it in the Holy of Holies. You'd throw the blood around. You'd make atonement for the people. Okay? Well, Jesus Christ, the same way. He was at, So think about this. Where does God dwell? Not, not, not from a new covenant understanding. Where, where would God dwell from an old covenant perspective? On the throne, in heaven, you know, not, not here, right? He didn't dwell among, so he would come down and, and be with his people, but he kept saying, if you obey me, I will be your God and, and you'll be my people and I'll make my dwelling place among you, right? Uh, on and on and on, so many other places. Well, in the new covenant, we see that Jesus Christ is, so the animals killed outside the Holy of Holies, Right? And it was the high priest who had to take it into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people so that the people could stand before God. Jesus, so heaven is the Holy of Holies, the heavenly reality where God is in his presence. Jesus comes uh, to the outer court. He came down to us. He was killed here, and he had to go back into the Holy of Holies to make atonement so that we could be one with God. Okay? Now, um, as Jesus Christ, so you remember in the story of Christ, he's crucified, he shows back up, he's telling, the, he's telling his disciples, he's like, look, I can't stay here, I can't stay here, I can't stay here. I've got to go, because if I don't go, you won't be able to be one with God. Why? Because the sacrifice was only part of the high priestly service that Christ was going to offer. And that was that the, the lamb would be slain in the outer court, in outside the holy of holies not in the presence of god it would be outside in the outer court earth is the outer court and jesus christ was slain on calvary in the outer court he went into the grave he was buried he resurrected from the grave but he had to ascend back into heaven into the holy of holies in order to do what you remember what ephesians chapter 2 teaches us ephesians chapter 1 all throughout these sections is that jesus christ ripped the curtain from the top to the bottom. You remember the, the picture I showed you a while ago that it was this really big, huge, thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner court and from the outer court, and no one could get past the curtain. You can't see through the curtain. You can't hear through the curtain. It was big, and it was Im immovable and unbreakable, right? And we understand that to be the law, which really is transgression of the law, which is sin, because God can't have part in impure lives. You have to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. And so Jesus Christ came down here to die in the outer court, but he, the high priest and the sacrifice, took his own sacrifice, his own blood, back into the Holy of Holies, back into heaven, in order to offer it up to God to appease the wrath of God and propitiate the sins of all who would believe in him and come vicariously through him. And when he did that, he tore the veil from the top, it specifically says from the top down to the bottom, making it available to all of those who would believe. Not only that, but Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to come back out of the Holy of Holies and to make his dwelling place here on earth that, that the Holy of Holies would be here. What's the Holy of Holies now? You. You are God's house. What does it mean that you are God's house? That you are the dwelling place of God. You are the place where heaven comes down. You are the holy of holies now. Not because you're holy. Well, yeah, because you're holy. But not because in and of yourself. But because Jesus has made you holy by his sanctifying and purifying blood. That you now are the holy of holies. And that's all I got. It's 12.05. Do I got five minutes?
I'll show you one other thing that will blow your mind. How about I guarantee it? All right, this blew mine. I don't got to share it with you. I can be stingy and just keep it. But I think you'll love it. You'll never read these verses the same again. Check this out. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Say amen when you got there. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have uh, let you embarrass everybody like that. Because you're on a phone and they've got an actual Bible? <laughs> hey, you go on with your bad self. Don't, don't pay him no attention. Pay no attention to that man in the corner. Behind the curtain. All right, here we go. John chapter 14. Now, with everything that I just told you, I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ was sacrificed in the outer court. He ascended back into the heaven, the holy of holies, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And uh, he ripped the curtain from top to bottom that he would be able to make us one with God and in so doing, make us the house of God, which is the dwelling place of God. Which is also, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 16, says that, Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? You are the temple of the living God. If you don't believe me, you are the dwelling place of God. If you have been washed and purified by the blood of the Lamb, you are the holy of holies. Okay. John 14. Now, he's telling them about his crucifixion. He's telling them about his death. Listen to what he says. Let not, he's talking to his disciples. Verse 1. Talking to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Pause. The word rooms is literally is dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Now, what's the, what, who, what's the house? The house here is, the, is what God's building. But we know that we are a house. But remember, dwelling place. Huh? We're the dwelling place. We're the house. It's kind of, but just follow. I wanted to point that out because this is where we're going. In my father's house are many houses, or many mansions, or many rooms, or many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. He's the Son. But the Father who dwells in me. The Father who dwells in me. He goes on. 
The Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Look here. You who share in a heavenly calling. What are the works that he does? You who share in the works that I do. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Because, uh, But you will see me. Because, listen to this. Because I live, you also will live in that day you will know that i am in my father and you in me and i in you whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him judas not iscariot said to him lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world jesus said if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him whoever does not love me does not keep my words and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope if we hold fast just like Moses house matched the blueprints Christ's house will too a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears a house will be known by the foundation that it sits upon you see Jesus Christ went into the Holy of Holies that the veil might be torn that the glory of God would descend down upon those who have faith in Christ and enter into them to become the house of the living God. That through Christ and the propitiation, no, no longer are you not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, but friends, brothers, beloved, brothers and sisters, that not only can you go in, but it has come into you. This is why Jesus said, I must go. I must go because if I don't go, I can't send the helper. If I don't go, I can't send the spirit. And if I can't go into the Holy of Holies to apply the atoning work that I have made, then you will still be separated by the vast curtain and the vast trap, the, the, the overwhelming distinction and blackness that keeps you out of the presence of God. But if I go, then I'll send the helper, I'll send the Holy Spirit, and he will come and he will bring me into you that you would not only have access to the Holy of Holies, but that you would become the Holy of Holies. 
you would be the dwelling place of the living God. You would be the house of God. You would be the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is why in chapter 2, you are commissioned. You are commissioned to go and to do as Christ has done. And it's reiterated here that we share in that heavenly calling. So children of God, you are not given to the, the lies of the enemy. His power over you has been broken. You have been made new. You are no longer distinct and separate from God, but God Almighty dwells in you that you share in the heavenly calling that is Jesus Christ calling, and that is to come into a lost, broken, and dying world to redeem those who have been called unto God to become his children, and that you are on a mission. You are ambassadors of Christ, and just like Jesus Christ came down to the earth and said, I do not come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. I do not speak on my own authority, but I speak on the authority of the one who sent me i and my father are one and you brother and sister you child of god you also can say that through jesus christ i and jesus are one i and the father are one because jesus himself told me that when i go i'll send the holy the, the holy spirit that i will be that the father is in me and i and the father and i in you that the trinity the trinity lives inside of you child of god that's amazing we are the house because we are houses. This building, nothing. You are the church. You are the house. You are the dwelling place of God. Now get busy and act as if not only are you a house, but you share in the work of building other houses. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, we come before you today, God, thanking you and, and just giving you this time. I pray that it would just uh, sink into all of our hearts in this time of response. Open us up to what you're doing. As we play this last song, would you please break our heart, take us to that place where you build it up into what you would have it to be. We love you, Jesus. Work in us now. Amen. Please respond as God has called you to respond.